is if you've spent any time around here, you've noticed, um, you've heard the, ta- the term or the, the name Wipe Every Tear, or you've heard us talk about Philippines, or you've seen um, one of the sponsorship cards about Novotis and some of those areas. Well, Jake and Josh were just there um, a few weeks ago um, with a few other people. This was Jake's second time there, and this is Josh was able to go for a whole month. Um, so we wanted to share a little bit of that, mainly because I think a lot of times it's really easy for churches to get very disengaged from whatever um, mission we may be trying to be a part of and just kind of go, oh, it's neat. Well, our church does that, and I don't really know what that is, and so we just kind of disengage from it. So we thought we'd share a little bit of the experience and talk a little bit about where um, we're going from there. Uh, I'm going to just kind of walk us through to start with Jake here. Jake, you've been there twice, and, um, and a lot of people haven't been once, and so they're like, not fair. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you've been there twice, and you went with the first trip with us, and you kind of had a purpose then. It was, it was Dale, one of the elders, me and, and you, and kind of were going to figure out how we could partner with Wipe Every Tear and how we could kind of do that. And you kind of went with the camera because the goal for you was, hey, we're going to hire you to get as much footage as possible for Wipe Every Tear. And you kind of hid behind the camera the whole time. We're still affected by it, but spent a lot of time behind the camera. So can you talk about your second time there? So, <clears throat> the, the, Bren's right. The first time I went into it with... Um, <clears throat> with the intent to help in any way media I can. I mean, I've been blessed to be able to do that. The, sec- this, the second time, I wanted to go back because uh, I felt like there was more work to do. And when I came back in January the first time, I was really depressed about the amount of work. And we all met up, uh, Dale and Brent and I, and then, you know, Josh was there. Um, but we were just looking at how much work there is to do and how much we all wanted to be a part of it and make it happen. Um, so I wanted to go back. Um, Wipe Every Tear was taking another trip. And uh, we, my goal for going back the second time was to, first off, personally, I wanted to be more engaged. But um, the four girls we met in the Hope House were finally at a point where they felt they would be willing to share their stories. So um, their goal for them sharing stories was they, they go out to the streets every Saturday. They go to the same bars in the same areas where they used to work and where they used to be slaves. Um, and the way that they reach these girls is they go share their stories and they show them the hope that they have now and the hope that they have um, with the people that they're around and the hope that they've been given and shown. And we've all been a part of that. Many other people have been a part of that. But I wanted to go the second time to capture their stories. And it's going to take a long time. And uh, ultimately, I hope it turns out to be a project that girls on the streets can see um, because there's just no way for this small group of girls to go reach all the thousands of girls that are out on the streets that are in the same place that they were a year ago or months ago or weeks ago. Um, So this time when I came back, it's definitely been uh, a lot different. I would say I'm a lot more passionate about it this time. I'm not as depressed about the amount of work because I know that we all have our jobs to do, and those lives are in God's hands. And Becky and Elaine and the girls in the Hope House have a huge heart for them. They're going to continue to reach people, and we can assist them in huge ways here. And um, so, yeah, this time, way less depressed and more on fire to make change. And my wife's kind of made jokes about it, but, like, my filter's kind of gone. I'm like, I'm not real sorry if I offend you. I don't mean to condemn anybody, but... Like, I was hugely convicted when I came back about the way that I lived my life before and, like, the decisions I still make. Um, and, like, in me, I need, I need to change. And I think maybe through what we experienced, 
a lot of you might feel the same way, not just for the Philippines, but in our lives here. Yeah, and, and Josh, you, you kind of, I feel like, had a, a, an interesting lens because you're close to Jake and I. You worked with me, obviously, and you'd see meeting after meeting after January of me kind of going through a little bit of what I was kind of termed or was termed on me for me was post-traumatic stress syndrome and just kind of vomiting my experience on people around. Um, you kind of had a, an interesting picture because you know both of us very well. You know Dale well. And so I think going into it, you may have had some preconceived notions or some ideas of what it would look like. Can you explain kind of what was different from being there, what you experienced, kind of what, what you were prepared for, weren't prepared for? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like I, I got to feel a lot of you guys' experience because I'm good friends with you. And I got to hear, like, that Jake was, like, like seriously struggled with depression when he got mm -hmm. back. Like, he was bummed out. Like, you were broken over it. I get these meetings of, like, we're not well, you know? Mm -hmm. And at that point, before you guys went, like, I, I didn't want to go in January. Like, I wasn't ready, selfishly, honestly. I think that was most of it, and I made up some really good reasons that sounded pastoral or <laughs> stupid, you know? <laughs> like, I, I just didn't think I could handle it. I didn't think I was ready, and I'm a, I am not a... I'm not a full of mercy person. And I'm like, what if I go and it doesn't bother me, though? You know, that's one of the things I feared. And I don't honestly know how anybody could go after being there and not be affected by it somehow. I, there's, no, there's no way. Like, if you could, no matter who you are, if you could fog a mirror and got to experience what the Philippines is like, what Navotis is like, what the, what the girls in the bars, what is going on there, it would just, it would wreck you. Um, you can't, you can't live through someone else's experience. You take yourself out of Boise, like out of whatever context you're stuck in, and then go, and it could be South America, it could be, for us, it's the Philippines, and the experience was, uh, it was, I don't know, I didn't expect it to be as big. Everything's huge. Everything's, it's a bigger problem. Like, it's just so massive. It's overwhelming to to be there to see the amount of, of poverty like in Novotis, the amount of girls that are forced to work um, on the streets, to work in these bars in the sex trade, it's, over, it's overwhelming. And one of the things I kept coming back to, and you can say, even I can say, like there's things that frustrate me about America. Um, I know there's things that frustrate you about America. We live in, in an amazing country. I don't feel like I've ever um, been ungrateful for my freedom. I have a whole new respect for where we live. I mean, even for Boise. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable what you and I have the opportunity to do in here. There are people who, no matter what, they're not going to bootstrap their way out of living along the river. Like, they're not going to like, well, if I just work harder today, maybe I'll get one more cup of rice, and then that'll turn into, you know, whatever. There's just people who cannot get out of these cycles of poverty. And that's the stuff that I, you cannot, I don't know, you just can't watch a video or have even a good friend, even your best friends tell you, mm -hmm. this is what it's like until you, uh, you see and hear and touch and smell in the Votus case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of these pictures you guys are seeing um, are just their time in, in the Philippines. And actually, um, I wanted to real quickly, you guys, if, if you've heard about Wipe Every Tear, you've heard about Kenny, this crazy old grandpa dude that we call, they call Lolo, which means grandpa in, uh, in the Philippines. But he is, he's awesome. He's fantastic. But one of the things that I think we were always, 
we were taken back by when we were there, but also I think everyone seems to be, is there's, there's two people. There's Becky and there's Lelaine. Um, and they'll find them in just a second. There, that's Becky right there. She is, no joke, this is not an exaggeration, like a Filipino young Mother Teresa. She is unbelievable. She has an amazing heart, and she is incredible. And then Lelaine is right there. That's her cousin. Um, I wanted to just real quickly, that's the side. Becky's the director of, of Wipe Every Tear. Those are the two that are kind of keeping things running. I wanted to kind of give you guys a chance to talk about them so people could understand a little bit more of who they are and what they do. Uh, Becky has been on staff, uh, I might be wrong, but I think over a year, and um, Lelaine went on volunteer staff um, late last year and was fairly new to it when we traveled in January. Um, but Becky's heart is to be part of these girls' rescue and then disciple them through their healing and turn them into disciple makers. And when we went there, there was four girls, and now there's, I think, nine. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And the four girls that we saw in January that were still pretty guarded and, and shy and didn't want to talk to American men um, are now pouring into the next generation of girls. It's, it's unreal to see just in six months them turn into true leaders. And they're still healing, um, but they're pouring into the next round of girls. And some of these pictures are us going out to the streets with all those girls, and they're looking for more to, to rescue and, and to bring in and care for them because like, these girls have nobody else to care for them. I, in first service, I, I, joke, I made the joke that there, there's these words, you know, both in American culture and in the Christian culture that are just overused. Like for a long time, it was, uh, no, I can't even think of it. I don't even want to remember it. Postmodern. Whoa. What, what does that even mean? Who cares what that means? Now it's like resonate and authentic. And even those are getting dumb and old. And we overuse these words to the point that they don't mean anything to you and I. And the word, even the word community is, is one of those words. Like, let's live in community. Well, what's that mean? Well, it means, I don't know what it means. I'm still trying to figure it out. And so are you. But I feel like I got to see with these girls, like, really what it means to live in community. Like they mentor, the older ones are mentoring and discipling the younger ones. And Becky is like the, the head disciple, mm -hmm. if you will. I said that last time. I don't know if that's whatever. But she absolutely loves these girls and is pouring her, uh, her heart out into them and to see them operate, to see them live um, life together for the, the period of time I got to be there was, un, was unreal. And they are hard working. Like, I, yeah, this is such a contrast of what we would consider long, busy days and what they consider long, busy days. One of the younger, the youngest girl in the house, there are two, um, two basically two times you go to school. One's either really early or one's like kind of like early morning, I guess, or late morning around noon. Um, she gets up at 3.30 to get ready for school, and she's 15 years old, and that's just her schedule, and all of them have crazy schedules. They work hard. They're excellent students, and it's just the life change is, it's inspiring. It's really amazing. Yeah, and so the, um, so, so Becky and Lelaine, and I said this last service too, Lelaine is, is Becky's cousin who wasn't even a follower of Jesus, and Becky said, you should come live at this house with me and spend some time with these girls, and through that process has surrendered her life to Christ and is now one of the ladies taking care of those girls. But 
We say, you've heard us, if they've been around here, you've heard us talk about going into the bars or what that looks like. And people kind of, what, bars, church, what's going on? And they kind of they panic a little bit. Can you share, just give them a picture of the different, like what the bars are from Batasan to um, Angeles City to Navotas. Kind of what, kind of walk them through what it's like um, to do that, either of you. So, um, I guess my, my first experience, like day two there, we went to um, Batasan and... It's basically just along this giant road that runs right through a, a part, of, part of Metro Manila called Commonwealth. And there's all these, like, you can spot the bars because they'll put weird, like, little blinking lights up. They're hard to see right here, but that's, that's Batasan. And it looks, I don't know, it just kind of looks like a road. Cool picture. That's Jake's work. The place is really filthy. Like, it's dirty. There's nothing like it around here. And we went and followed. I felt really out of place, and I'm not... I wasn't necessarily, I don't feel like I was scared of anything, just didn't know what to do. We followed the girls from the Hope House along the road, and they just started conversations with these girls that work in front of the bars and would just sit down and tell them, like, what's going on in life? How are you doing? Like, are you any closer ready to be, like, being done with this lifestyle? They have those kind of conversations, and it's one of the... One of the Some of these girls aren't even a month or two out of... Yeah, out of out being... Of it being off, yeah. of, out, off the street, out of the bars. One of the girls who came to join the house when I was actually there, I got to um, meet her. She was a pimp of one of the girls that's in the house now and like brings all this experience and knowledge, honestly, as weird as it seems, like knowledge about the bars and how everything operates and being able to have just healthy conversations and say like, look, this, you shouldn't be here. You don't need to be here. And if you don't want to be, that's why I wipe every tear exists. And I got to see that happen the first night. And then it was Kazon Avenue, a little bit different because there's not any bars. It's just all, it's on the street. It's not prostitution because they're being forced into it. But, and then I'll, I'll let Jake talk about uh, Angelus. Yeah. Joe, I spent a lot of time in, in Patassin after I had come back home, but I spent a lot of time in Angelus City, um, which is the Vegas-y looking strip. And um, when you walk around there, like us being white men, you get treated totally different. Um, they want you to come in. They want you to spend your money. They want you to take a girl home and experience an experience. So when we walk around, there's just lines of girls that are just trying to get your attention and, and, and get you in. And it's, it's just terrible um, that exists. But Jared and Kenny and I went into Angela City in the first the first experience we had this trip like this. We all sat down and we looked for about five or ten minutes until we found a girl that we wanted to bring to our table, which is, we can talk about it sometime if you want, but you look at a wall of girls and you choose which one you want and you pick her number and she comes and sits with you and you buy her a drink and she makes a little bit of a commission. So we brought this girl and she was just terrified. She looked, she looked terrified that she was going to sit at a table with three guys and after talking to her for, for, for a few minutes can you just let her know that that all we wanted to do was buy her a drink if she wanted it buy her a meal if she wanted it and talk with her and we didn't want to take her home and th that opened up that opened up a door for us to talk and after about a half hour can he give her business cards um, for, of his and of Becky's and just said if you ever want out if you ever need a place to go or if you ever need to talk give us a call and um, One of the things in Angeles City, the girls make more money on the alcohol or the drinks or the food that you buy for them than actually selling themselves. So 
you have to when you're in the bar there, and that's one of the things I wanted people to understand is when you're there, you have to buy something. Otherwise, they freak out. Like, what are you doing here? What's going on? Like, they want you to buy something, so you have to do that. But it's kind of interesting that they... And, and that's their livelihood. So the only way you can get their time to tell them that there's a different way is to support in some fashion. And um, that girl, she bought a, a pineapple juice or something, and we found out that she made 50 cents uh, off of that sale. Um, and that's, that's their existence. So for us to be there and just tell her that we don't want to take you home, we aren't here for any other reason than to talk to you, um, really gave her hope. And she let us know that. She told us that. And it, it's so, so worth the time. Yeah. One of the other things that we did, and we spent a lot of time doing it back in January, where we um, asked everyone to get perfume. And said, hey, bring some perfume. We want to give out some gifts. And, and there's, we want to give perfume. And we had a few people that were, were a little concerned, like, wait, are we giving perfume to the girls on the streets? Because that seems a little weird to make them. Honest, honest question. Not like, uh, to me now, it feels weird to say it. But like, it feels like we're just trying to make them pretty for what they're doing already. Like, it's enabling them. Um, kind of talk through that a little bit, just the well, experience of that. Real quick, that picture, that's somebody that we met in January. Yeah. And um, when we walked the streets this time passing out perfume, she remembered me. And she asked about Brenner Dale. That's incredible. But we, we, what struck me most is when we're packing up the perfume, we're taking all these bottles of perfume and we're putting them in gift bags and we're going to take them out to the streets. The girls in the Hope House, um, all of them, get together and they do that. And they're joyed to do that. They are excited to go take that out there because that's just one more opportunity that they get to go and, and show these girls that they matter to someone. And yeah, people have said, like, how can you do that? How can, how can you aid them in doing what we think is wrong? It's like, how could you avoid an opportunity to talk to somebody and show somebody a little bit of hope and a little bit of love that aren't going to get it any other way? Yeah, yeah. it's very valuable. Um, there's, no, like, there's, there's no white people. There's nobody going into Batasin and, and Kazan Avenue to, to tell these girls, like, no, there's, nobody's doing anything for them there. Um, IGM has a presence there. Mm -hmm. um, YWAM has a presence in a couple of other places, but, like, yeah. It, you can talk about your theology all day long, but Kenny and I got to go have conversations with um, girls in these bars and just tell them about Wipe Every Tear, tell them that we love Jesus, that I'm a pastor. You talk about people flipping out when you tell them, you're a pastor and you have tattoos. You already looked at weird because you have tattoos. And Jake, being with Jake and Jared, they're both like six foot plus. It's just, they look at you different. But when you tell them, like, we're here because God has changed our lives and we work for an NGO, for a nonprofit that wants to give you um, hope, wants to give you a different opportunity. And it's all done around discipleship, all done around our hope in Jesus. So that's, that's some of White Pepper Tear. We can, you can hear a lot more. Uh, Josh and Jake and I and Dale, one of our elders, Jared, Amber, and Stacy and Jordan are all people that have gone recently um, from just here that if you want to get some more stories about that or time. And Kenny also is someone to talk to about that. But um, let, let's, let's move to Novotis because we've been talking about it a while. We've been doing a sponsorship with kids. I kind of, I want, um, I want to just kind of talk, give me kind of the picture of Novotis as a whole and then maybe William and Mercy as well and talk about them. I don't, yeah. Novotis in a nutshell is just a filthy, stinky, impoverished place. There are just, um, these pictures won't do it justice. I mean, that's a market with like blood and guts and sewage running down the middle. Um, 
it's unlike anything I've ever seen, and I know this exists in other places around the world. This is just the only place I have seen it. But like homes constructed out of plywood and metal, built on top of each other, that house multiple families or people living on boats. And it's unlike anything I had ever seen. Yeah. I think that, so when you, when you picture Manila, you hear about Manila. Manila is the 11th largest city in the world. There's 19 million people in Metro Manila. So I thought when we talked about Novotis that Manila is right here and Novotis is just over here, but you drive, you just keep driving through city and it looks all the same. It's just like broke down, like everything's just, uh, just like shanties just along the road the entire way. And then you just arrive in Novotis and they're, somehow the people are poorer. They're more poor. They're like, there's just no getting out of that, that cycle of poverty there. And I'm like, Kenny asked Mercy one time. William and Mercy have been, they planted this church in 1980, whatever. They've been there for that's, 20... That's William and Mercy. 23 years. They've had multiple opportunities, basically an opportunity every three years to leave. They fulfilled that three years in, in this ministry at this church. You can go somewhere else now. Like, you've paid your, you know, you've, you've paid your penance, basically. And they've stayed in this poor, busted-down place because they love the people. They love Jesus. They somehow love Jesus in a different way than I love Jesus, and it bothers me. And I... I, I'm, I'm serious, like, I don't know, I don't know, like, I need to, I need to change, like, I need more Jesus and less me, I need, like, less American Josh and more Filipino Jesus, because those people <laughs> just love and do amazing things for each other, like, we talked in the first service about how hard it was to be served by them, um, we go there, stayed at this church, and... I've never experienced humidity either before. That was unbelievably hot. We're sleeping on a concrete floor, but they've served us meals like three squares a day. Like that's what I need is three square meals a day to, yeah, and not, and not help out and not do anything. They wouldn't even sit down and eat with this. I wanted to scream. It made me so uncomfortable to be served by these people like this. In my mind, I was like, oh, we came here to do for you, you know, big American blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you know what, when I come to America, you can, you can do this for us, but you're in the Philippines and we want to do this for you. And it was so hard because they live just really humble, meager lives. They live at the church. They have eight kids that all love the Lord. Like five of them are in Bible college. And they absolutely love, they love That's that city. They love Novotis. They believe that God can change it through, through their church. They're discipling. Uh, the people that are part of the scholarship program. Is that where we're going with this? Yep. I don't want to cut yep. you off. No, no, keep going. It's good. Part of the, the scholarship program that you've heard about, um, we started, they started it after they came back last, um, last January. And to me, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. Like, get a kid in school. That's a good thing. And I was joking with Dale last night. We had dinner with Dale and Sheila. I'm like, man, it, it's such an important thing. This is the only, this is the only thing for, for them. Like, these kids have got to go to school. There is no way for the, the, the cycles they're trapped in of, of, of just poor to be broken unless they get an education. So there's 20 kids in school right now because, because of you guys. And there's 68 sponsorships raised already next for, for next year. But they have people coming to the church in, in Nevada saying, like, we heard, like, 
we heard so-and-so's kid has got a scholarship. Is there one for us? And they have to tell them no. You know, it's whole, I, I, I had to sit there and listen to these conversations and see that happen. And I'm like, oh, man. Ne- you know, next year there will be. We'll even be able to sponsor your sister. Like they're having right now to pick one kid a, a family. And, but to go out and to deliver food in the community to the super poor places. I mean, poor like you can't even imagine poor. And they have Bible studies in Paradise Village. Right there, they're reaching for candy. Like, um, whatever it was, Jolly Ranchers. You're getting mobbed, like getting clawed on and just loved on because there's just nothing there. There's no one there reaching these people. No white people, no white people go to Paradise Village. And we went there because we love Jesus and we believe that God can use our little church and, and wipe every tear also to make a, a difference in a, in a community. In Paradise Village right there is where last time we were there, people had told us that they had never been given a gift before and they had no income or food or prospects of food. They had literally given up, said, I'm going to trust God because I have no means to obtain food again. Um, so like delivering 10, 10 pounds of rice and some ramen and sardines, um, really gave William and Mercy uh, like a foot in this community. And what I love, and I said it last service, I think it's important, is William and Mercy take their kids and the kids of people in their church to pass out food. And when they have the Bible study, kids come. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 10 minutes on a trike, something like that. And then you walk through this, this little shanty town that's a resettlement camp. Um, you just walk by people that you can't help to, f- to find the people that you have invested in and try they're, to... They're doing a Bible study there now. Yeah, yeah, which is two of them. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, so just uh, a couple things I think that were worth talking about. Um, Jake, you had uh, kind of an honorary term. I think Josh got it too, which is a, it's a big deal. Um, of all the medals you probably won growing up, this was probably one that, that meant a lot more to you, and that is that they had started, so the, some of the kids, because you'd had a relationship before, and then it come back, and then Josh, because he had so much time there, they started calling him Tito Jake and, and Tito Josh. And that, that term means honorary uncle, right? Yeah, like adopted into the family, like treated, treated as family. Um, and that, that was really cool. Um, I think that's why it's important for us to maintain uh, that partnership. And uh, ultimately, uh, Josh said it really well last service. So I think he should again. But yeah. um, they brought me into their family, basically. And they did the same to Josh, because they value that we were there to help them in their mission. We showed them that what they do matters. Mm-hmm. And it meant a lot, but. Mm-hmm. So you guys dream for a second, Josh. Everyone's like, okay, what does this mean? Why are we sharing this here? No one's gonna hold you to any of this. Like, what do you see kind of the future of this work in, in the Philippines and Novotis? And obviously, like I said, there's plenty of amazing things going on everywhere else in the sure. world. And, but kind of just dream, what do you see kind of us with FCAC and, and Pastor William and Mercy and then Wipe Every Tear as well. One of the things that I was just blown away by is how far the American dollar is, is stretched there. So there's 42 pesos right now per, per dollar. But um, like for example, Brent came back and we started hashing like, where can we move some of our missions budget or just spend more money to invest in them, in their church locally? So we designated, we wanted to cover $50 that Wipe Every Tear was giving them so that it wasn't straining just a little bit of pressure off Wipe Every Tear. 
$50 for their bar ministry, and then $50 for the church. $150, which it's, it's not like, wow, that's a ton of money, but it's not a little amount. I was just like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that, whatever. And just kind of flippantly, honestly, mm-hmm. I think that's it was, good. It was 50 for the bar ministry, four wipe every tier, yes. 50 for the Gumba family, and yeah. 50 for the church. Yes. Sorry, just, okay. But there, yeah. So, but that 150 goes towards the church now. And I, after being there and seeing just how far, that, that money means a ton to them. I mean, it is huge. We took a group of kids out one night, bought them like a Coke and a pastry for $12. And they're like, no, you can't spend this money on us. And I'm like, 20 I wanted kids. to bash my face against a wall because I was like, oh, I just can't even handle the, they just didn't want us spending money on them. It, whatever. Us, sorry. Um, our opportunity as, as a church, as just a representation of, of God's church in Boise is, our opportunity is huge. The fact that there's already been 68 sponsorships raised from our little um, community is, is amazing to me. It's awesome. The impact that I could see it having in that community, I don't think you can dream big enough. I honestly believe God could do incredible things through, and not through these Americans. It's just going to be through us supporting a church that has been in the trenches for 23 years. Like, they've been digging. Like, they've been digging ditches, man. They've been faithful. They've been praying that God would give them somebody. Give us somebody that will help us reach more people and help us fulfill the vision that you've given us. He had the opportunity to leave, and he kept praying and praying and praying, and they met these guys last January, and he told them about this, this dream, this vision, and we're just trying to be obedient, take those next steps, and help kids get an education to help keep the, the young girls out of the bars, just to mm-hmm. change, to literally change. And I think uh, the, community. The, the issue is sometimes when you hear this and you're like, oh man, yeah, I want to do something, or you get excited about maybe something you've been doing in, in Uganda or somewhere else, and you just kind of get a little bit passionate, and you're like, well, what can I do? And so you, you, you send some money to it. Like I said, we, I was amazed at what God did through your guys' faithfulness financially for just getting the, the house for the girls in, in for wipe every tear and and all that stuff but uh, jake when you came back we kind of sat down and had a conversation and i'm going to tee this up a little bit higher this time but um jake came back and he was a different person i kind of asked him like what what like what is really like what are you just like what's you can't hold back anymore like if, if there's someone out here that says i want to go to the philippines or i want to serve or i want to do this or they kind of have this idea like what would you what would you tell s- someone in here like to get involved in some way well when i came back i i didn't I didn't know what I needed to get off my chest, but I needed to talk. And Bryn had coffee with me, and uh, I just totally just went on. I just spewed it on him for a while. And what I, <laughs> what I really realized when I came back and I was convicted in my life um, and in just in my habits and in my routines and the way that I had built my life up before, um, that... Yeah, there's so much more we can do here. And people have told me, oh, I want to go on this Philippines trip. I want to experience what you've experienced. And I think if God's put that on your heart, then, then pursue that. Yeah, absolutely. But don't use that as an excuse to not do things now, here. Because there are people that are broken here. And there are people that are hungry and alone. And there are people that are serving those people here. 
And there are kids in our church, and there are kids in this community here that, that need you in their life. And I would say, if you get the opportunity to go on a trip like this, and I've been blessed to go twice, and I hope to go again, but it's not up to me. If, if this is something you want to do, then take those steps. But get involved here. Be part of a gospel community. Get to know your neighbors. Go serve food down at Rhodes. Go find the needs of people that are, are, are reachable here that you might not even know. Submerse yourself in it here. Don't hold back and don't expect some trip to change your life because it will. And like me, you'll realize that you've been doing it wrong for a long time. Just do things here. Share God's love. Be hope in Jesus in somebody's life here. Yeah, I think, I think we have a tendency, and, and I, I, I asked, he had kind of worried about sharing that because he didn't want to come across too harsh, but um, we have a tendency to glorify or um, make something more beautiful than it is, but we make it about the thing. We glorify working with injustice. And pretty soon the injustice becomes our idol and it takes place of the purpose and the work of Jesus Christ. And so we get so excited about chasing some work or feeding the poor or, or doing anything. We lose the fact. The point isn't even that injustice, although we're called to be a part of it. And although we're called to give food to the hungry, none of that really is the point. The point is to make much of Jesus Christ, to make much of who he is. And so I think... What I, why I wanted Jake to share that and why we wanted to, to do this today is I think that, here you go, you guys have heard a lot about what's going on, and, it, and hopefully your hearts are a little bit more broken for some brothers and sisters that are just dealt a crappy hand. But equally, I hope that, that you're not content with sitting around doing nothing about the brothers and sisters that are sitting around you that are broken and hurt in a whole different way. And we, we use... We use some cause to, to justify not engaging in the fact that our neighbor next to us is screaming inside and needs hope. We use some, some other thing out there to just make it okay because I do this and I check it off my list and I'm okay now. I, I did something for God. When it isn't like when you, when you said yes to God, it wasn't God. I want to just be a part of you when I go to the Philippines or a part of you when I show up on Sunday. It was I'm going to die to myself because you are Lord and Savior. And so I hope, as, and we'll pray and we'll close, I hope, I hope, guys, that you are encouraged to not just pretend to follow Jesus, but to figure out more of what that Filipino Jesus looks like, because it doesn't make sense in a lot of ways when we look at the Jesus we, we talk about and support. We spend so much time here arguing about piddly things so that we don't have to do the very things that Jesus called every single one of us to do. And so my hope is, is maybe you get involved with the Philippines or you support a kid. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, um, but more so than anything is that you would, you would recognize that your purpose, your calling on life has already been served <laughs> when you said, I, I believe in who you are, Jesus. He already, he already gave you a calling, and that's to make disciples, to make much of him and for his glory and for his work in everything you do. You're not, you're not some exception the rule. You're called to live a life that is, is sold out for him in a way that it's not radical. It's normal. It's normal for us to be broken about the pains of the people around us. It's normal for us to, to love the way that Jesus called us to. So let me pray. God, I thank you for, for Jake. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for um, 
just his desire to uh, serve you. God, I pray for the time that he's going to have to mull over the hours of those horrific stories of what those beautiful girls have been through. Um, that end in such a beautiful way of your hope, which is amazing. And I pray that when that video finally comes to and he finally gets that in place, God, would you please um, just do an amazing work for you and your glory in the hearts of many other girls because of the story of hope that you brought redemption to them. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray that um, tonight they wouldn't sleep well because they've recognized the complacency in their life where they've just been saying, good enough, God. I pray that, that, I pray that there would be a discomfort in each of our hearts that we would realize that we have, we have used some mission trip at a time to some desire to do injustice and we've, we've idolized it, God, and taken, it's taken place of your son, Jesus Christ. So forgive us of that. But God, for those of us in the room that just feel like we can just show up to a church, check a box, say we love you every now and then and never really spend any time with you, God, I pray you'd break our hearts. You'd wreck us down and you'd remind us that we are incapable of doing anything without your spirit, which you so freely give to us when we surrender our life to you. So God, I pray that we would, we would not lose track or lose sight of the fact that our goal, our purpose on life here is to make much of Jesus Christ and that is it, much of his work. And so God, I pray, um, I pray that every single person in this room would have heard some of this and it would break their hearts to pray a little bit more for William and Mercy, to strengthen them, to pray for the Hope House girls, to pray for Becky and Elaine. But God, I also pray that it would um, open our eyes to the, to the neighbors, to the needs, to the names of the people you have around us here locally. Help us never lose sight of the fact that, God, we do this because you so graciously loved first. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.